Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is back with us today, although he will be out next week on vacation. Jim, I assume the commencement went well yesterday. Congratulations to your son. Uh, Good to have you back. And I know you've already got half your brain, at least on the road trip that's ahead of you this afternoon. Yes. uh, As usual, dear listeners, if you happen to find yourself on Interstate 95 heading south somewhere between Northern Virginia and the Georgia state line, please get out of the left lane. (laughs) <laughs> Some of us need to get going, and uh, we are we're willing to t- you know take our odds with the state troopers, even if certain elderly drivers are not. Uh, this is all, of course, you know. I want to thank the administration for having close to five dollar a gallon gas across the entire country. Excellent timing for that for this particular summer trip. And uh, yeah, I you know as as you and I have discussed, probably the roughest point in the trip is going to be you get past Pedro. You see all the signs for south of the border. You're like, ah, oh, I'm in South Carolina. And then it dawns on you. It's usually about another three hours to get to, to you know, near Hilton Head where I'm going. I got to tell you, you know, South Carolina looks like a small state on the map. And it's a fooling you. Somehow when you actually get driving through it, South Carolina gets a lot longer. Yes. Yes, it does. It takes forever because, uh, you know, there's the anticipation factor. The roads aren't as good as they are in the other states. And they have the the stronger buffer, I think, between the north and southbound lanes. So you have nothing to look at for a long time mm. there. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's just uh, trees. <laughs> Lots of fine trees. <laughs> but uh, but your family and my family both uh, love vacationing in South Carolina. So th- while we do grouse continually and appropriately about the roads, uh, it is a lovely place. So enjoy your enjoy your week there. Uh, I want to tell everyone, first of all, we're sponsored in part today by Outer. And look, summer's here. Uh, depending on where you live in the country, it's been here for a while. So if you're going to spend all that fabulous time outside, do it on the best possible furniture uh, from teak tables to fire pit tables. Everything Outer makes has the look and feel of what you'd expect at a five-star resort, but you'll pay much less for it than you would at a big box store for something of far less quality. Outer is better in every way because they've spent years perfecting outdoor products with stunning modular designs to customize your space. Life-proof material with a nano coating that is water, mold, bleach, and stain resistant. More than a thousand neighborhood showrooms across the country so you can see the outer difference in person. And triple memory foam cushions that are comfier than most indoor sofas. Outer's patented built-in outer shell cover protects your furniture from rain and dew. And they have great accessories. We really like the bug-resistant blankets. So when you're outside and the mosquitoes are are kind of bugging you, uh, just uh, whip up the bug blanket and you can actually enjoy your evening without the insects having a feast on you. So see the difference at liveouter.com slash martini. Plus for a limited time, get $300 off and free shipping. A big deal with stuff of this size. This is Outer's best offer anywhere, only available to podcast listeners and only for a limited time. Get $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com slash martini, liveouter.com slash martini. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Jim, on to our good martini now. And we've talked about this uh, in a number of ways over the past week, usually in jest, especially as we describe each other as collegial, collaborative, and talented, <laughs> which was the... Uh, you know, the uh, Manchurian candidate way of uh, the Washington Post newsroom trying to uh, get back to normal didn't work. Felicia Somnes did not get the hint 
the overt hint, the subtle hints, they did not work. So she has now been fired. She, of course, started this whole brouhaha, unless you say Dave Waggle started it by uh, retweeting that uh, that one joke. Uh, and then she just would not let it go. Uh, the management basically did what she wanted, unless she wanted Weigel completely fired. They suspended the guy for a month. That wasn't good enough. Uh, then other people at the Post told her to let it go because Weigel had already apologized. He took down the tweet and had been suspended. So then she, of course, played the victim with those people. Then she accused the Washington Post newsroom of uh, you know, uh, playing favorites based on race. Finally, yesterday, the Washington Post just had enough. I'm sure Sanmez will uh, play the victim card here and try to land somewhere else. Uh, as the uh, true defender of, of women and all things woke. But uh, Jim, it's hard to imagine someone else who's going to take that risk right now. I think she's uh, uh, bottomed out, at least for the moment. But you never know. You just never know with these people. So what do you make of the Post decision and this whole saga? Well, there's there's two aspects that I kind of feel have gotten underplayed in all of this. The first is uh, apparently Sonmez had a previous lawsuit against the Post for workplace discrimination or... Uh, I don't know if it was a hostile workplace environment or something. You know, so usually when you sue your employer, it is very tough to keep working there. Her case was dismissed uh, and she kept working there, which is you know obviously going to be an awkward situation at best. And many people have looked at her behavior during this ongoing you know seven-day saga. As someone pointed out, even God rested on the seventh day. Um, that you know that that's somewhat questioning like what well, is was this secretly an effort to get fired in an effort to sue the post again, thinking you'd have a better chance of winning on a second appeal? Say, look, I sued them, then they fired me because I sued them or something like that. Uh, I don't know if that's how it's going to shake out. I certainly, you know, uh, certainly at no point in this process did she seem like she had any uh concern that the you know repeated public tweeting and and denouncing her employers in public on Twitter. Uh, she never seemed to ex exhibit any sign of worried about losing her job or something like that. She seemed to think one of two things. Either either she wanted this or she felt that uh, you as an employee should be allowed to denounce your employer, uh, you know, not just once or twice, but almost relentlessly throughout a week. And you're entitled to keep your job and keep doing your job. In fact, many people kind of wondered, when do you do any actual reporting uh, <laughs> when you're doing this so much? Um, I just kind of want to echo something we, you know, Josh Barrow had written earlier in the week. You know, this is not professional. Your workplace is not Fleetwood Mac. You're not supposed to, you know, vent your spleen about every disagreement you have with all of your coworkers. Greg, I don't know what your younger years in radio were like. I know radio has a, a reputation for being kind of a, a wild and wooly and not necessarily a buttoned down and uh, particularly corporate environment, although maybe that's changed. But certainly you know, in the past, it was not seen that way. And I will tell you, I've dealt with bosses and editors in the past who were less than fully sensitive, shall we say. Right? There's an old saying of, you know what rolls downhill. When you are low man on the totem pole, your boss may or may not treat you the way you want to be treated. You may not always feel like all of your ideas are getting a warm and receptive hearing. Uh, hopefully it never reaches a point of abuse. Hopefully it never reaches a point of, of harassment or something like that. But in your workplace, you're going to deal with both superiors and likely coworkers who either annoy you or, or you have strong disagreements with or say or do things that bug you or bother you. And part of being a responsible adult is just sucking it up and dealing with it. And if it really gets intolerable, you can go out and find another job. But in the end, like the job, your, your employer is not there to make sure everybody gets along, right? You're, you're, you may have an employer who has attitudes 
that utterly offend you and you abhor. They may tell jokes that you don't like. And as long as, you know, and you can ask them to stop. And, you know, I think the right response to Dave Weigel tweeting a joke that was kind of sexist or making fun of women would have been for uh, her to tweet back some joke about men. And everybody has a laugh, and then we all just kind of move on with our lives. Because in your workplace, your job is your job. This is the one of the few times you'll ever hear me quoting Bill Belichick. Do your job, right? That is your focus. That is your that is your purpose. Everything else, your feelings, your aspirations, your hopes and dreams and, and all that kind of stuff. Hey, look, it's good to have all that stuff, but it's not really the job of your employer. And, you know, when you ch clock in, your mission is to do your job. The mission of the organization is supposed to come first. And if it, you know, how you, you know, somebody else is irritating you, they, uh, office space and the red stapler, you know, we all have coworkers who kind of drive us nuts, but you got to suck it up and deal with it. You got to focus on what you have to do. And it's been kind of fascinating to watch this, you know, just steady breakdown. I've had people, you know, contending that this is a, a millennial trait. Maybe it's a generation Z trait. I think she's, you know, out of that group. Um, and we can throw in Taylor Lorenz and some of her behavior recently. This idea of expressing every emotion you feel, this utter abandonment of stoicism, this utter belief that not only do you express every feeling, every emotion that you have in the workplace, you express every emotion you have on social media for the whole wide world to know about and hear about. Because I got to tell you, you thinking your coworker is nuts is not something unique or unusual or special. Everybody deals with this. And the vast majority of people suck it up, not because they've decided they want to be such wonderful people, but because they don't really have a choice because that's their that's not their job. They don't expect their bosses to intervene. Their boss is not a therapist, except for the people who actually work in a therapist's office. Um, <laughs> the job, your, 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 your boss's job is not to make sure everybody's getting along hunky-dory and you all hold hands and sing kumbaya. If your workplace is like that, great, fantastic. I get along with the overall. Actually, I don't think there's anybody in my workplace who I don't get along with. And when we were taping editors earlier this week, I joked with Charlie Cook and I said, I was trying to go, God, what would somebody have to do for me to say to the bosses, you gotta, you know, this person's gotta be suspended for a month without pay. And I think Charlie would have to shoot me. And even then it depended on where, you know, it, it's one of those things where you, if he wings me, it's two weeks is fine. You know, this, this idea of like, you know, you're, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Your, your coworkers are going to annoy you in life. Your coworkers are going to say things. That's part of work. That's part of life. And there seems to be this fundamental rejection of this. And this is obviously the most vivid and high definition example of this. But we've seen plenty of people go off on social media tirades. If it's not Twitter, it's Instagram, it's TikTok, it's something like that. So um, learning a little bit of stoicism and learning to be able to handle a little bit of grief and aggravation and not lose your cool is a really important skill in life. And I think we've seen a demonstration of the opposite. And I think the, con the almost inevitable consequences of the opposite are now vivid for everyone to see. Yeah, it's fascinating. You covered so much good material there. Uh, but yeah, she seems like someone who's uh, been told that she's special uh, all the time and usually gotten what she wanted. And this time she didn't get exactly what she wanted, even though she got her very good friend suspended without pay for a month. Right. Like, doesn't so. that kind of, you know, show you the post is listening? But yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, I assume she got a, a nice escort out of the building if she was even actually. Oh, so there's the letter, which was apparently she was informed by email, uh, has been posted online. And it included the message of if you have things in the building that, you know, personal items in the building, we will arrange for them to be sent to you <laughs> and contact. So-and-so will contact you about any post, any post property that you need to return. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe the employer provided the work, the laptop or something like that. So. Yeah, this was about as terse a get out of, you know, get out. We, we are cutting ties as you possibly could get from an organization.
Oh, the poor intern who's got to fill that box and deliver it. That's not going to be <laughs> fun. Sorry. Sorry, intern for the Washington Post. But uh, yeah, we'll see if this was all uh, a, a big ruse, uh, whether uh, you know she wants to launch that lawsuit and whether she was actually trying to get fired. Some people almost are taking steps to act like they're intentionally trying to ruin the economy, which we'll take uh, a look at in just a moment here, Jim. But in the meantime, Father's Day, uh, barely a week away. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and if you want to make that day real special for dad, a great way to do that is the Dad's Want Steaks Package. I love Omaha Steaks. They have the tender, juicy steaks. So they got them wrapped in bacon. The burgers are phenomenal. They're also very juicy. They're good portions. They're even bigger now than they were before. They've got great sides. There's really nothing from Omaha Steaks that I'm not excited uh, to eat after Mrs. Karamas throws it on the grill or makes it in some other way, depending on what the item is. And right now, for just $99, the Dads Want Steaks package uh, includes 16, 16 mouthwatering entrees, uh, including the tender bacon-wrapped filet mignons, gourmet jumbo franks, and their air-chilled boneless chicken breasts. And for a sweet finish the delicious caramel apple tartlets plus eight free Omaha Steaks burgers. So visit omahasteaks.com and type martini into the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. Again, you'll get eight of their new, bigger Omaha Steaks burgers absolutely free. And because it's Omaha Steaks, everything is backed by their 100% money-back guarantee. That's omahasteaks.com and then type martini in the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And uh, you were previewing this on, on Twitter today, uh, letting folks know that we were counting down to the inflation numbers for May. People were hoping they would tick down a little bit or at least be quite a bit smaller than it actually was. One whole percentage point in May, and that means a record high, at least since 1981. Here's Rick Santelli of CNBC with the ugly news. Year-over-year year headline, 8.6, 8.6, a new cycle high usurping March, which was 8.5. That was the highest since 1981. Now, 8.6 uh, continues to be the highest since 81 because uh, the comp there is 8.9 to 11.8 percent. And then to break that down a little bit further, uh, Jim, there are actually people at the Washington Post doing their job, including economic columnist uh, Heather Long, who tends to break this down every month. Groceries, year over year, up 11.9%. That's the most since 1979. Chicken is up 17.4%, most ever. Restaurants, 9%, most ever. Fuel oil, 107%, most ever. Electricity, 12%, most since 2006. Rent, 5.2%, largest since 1987. Airfare, 37.8%, largest since 1980. Services, 5.7%, largest since 1990. And then... Uh, uh, another uh, analysis that I saw, used cars up 16.1%, eggs up 32%, and oh, by the way, real average hourly earnings down 3%. So Jim, I'm not sure how this could have been much uglier. No, it really couldn't have. And on Wednesday, as you know, the hype around the January 6th commission hearing started to really kick into a higher gear, I pointed out that, well, okay, so it's going to be Thursday night, and we'll talk a bit about that in our next martini. But uh, Friday morning was when the monthly update to the inflation numbers comes out. Uh, and that, you know, it comes out the second Friday of every month. And I think that means the second Friday of every month for the foreseeable future is going to be bad news for the Biden administration and is going to bring the inflation issue front and center in, in American politics. Not that I expect it to ever drift away that much because the coal country is passing $5 a gallon gas 
And you know, every time you go out to buy groceries, every time you go out to buy something, you get some new reminder of how high prices are. So, you know, unsurprisingly, yes, this is this is dropped like a bomb. I, I, I described it Wednesday. We don't know what the, the numbers were going to be, but we knew they weren't going to be good. The consensus was maybe an 8.2 or an 8.3, um, which is, you know, still really, really bad. And I'm still fuming over the, you know, generally smarter than this Jim Shudo tweet from last month. You, you would figure this was Jim Acosta, but it was a different Jim at CNN, uh, where Shudo said, well, inflation took a breather, declining from 8.5 to 8.3. And when you're only a little bit worse than the worst than the worst inflation in 40 years, it's not really a good number. You really can't say it's any kind of you know, a, any kind of significant improvement that people are going to feel. And I don't really think it counts as quote unquote taking a breather or something like that. Well, we won't get that spin this month because 8.6 is even worse. This is the you know the worst number since December 1981. And people are feeling it. And you look down like, well, sometimes you can go into the numbers. And it was really bad for fuel, but it wasn't quite as bad for food or, or you can find. There is nothing good in this. Uh, the president's supposed to have an address discussing inflation later this afternoon. I don't ex- I, I don't know what a president's supposed to say in a situation like this. He said two months ago that this was his new top priority and that he was going to relentlessly focus on this. And I, I don't think Americans want to hear another, I know how it is to suffer. I, I know how hard it can be you know, to pay for food, you know, like it's the same old stuff month after month. I think what really should have us freaking out is that, uh, I guess it was in May or so, the Fed raised interest rates by half a point. And it was that, as far as we can tell, that had little or no effect at all. And so I figure uh, Chairman Powell and everybody else are, uh, you know, I don't know if they're tearing, I'd say they're tearing out their hair for the one people who still have hair. We're in a really bad stretch of inflation. And a couple of analysts are saying, well, if it didn't peak this month, I don't think you can guarantee that this is the peak. It may well get worse before it gets better. I think most people hope or expect by the end of the year, we've at least seen some decline. But uh, you look at past, you know, big bursts of inflation, it very rarely gets, you know, dramatically better month to month. Usually it goes up gradually or somewhat gradually, and then it goes down gradually or somewhat gradually. So we're probably stuck with this, certainly through the November 2022 elections. Um, I think this definitely puts us at higher, you know, people more worried about the risk of a recession, two consecutive uh, quarters of negative uh, GDP growth. We had one, we already have one quarter. Now the question is, do we get the next one? And uh, I just think that the, you know, this is not a time to run around with happy talk. And, you know, if Karine Jean-Pierre says, oh, you know, where the economy's in a better shape now, in a better place now. No, it's not. You know, although then again, Greg, in a better place now, isn't it the sort of thing they usually say at funerals? (laughs) It is, but I'm sure she read it because she reads every answer uh, at, at the briefing. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just wondering if Democrats are going to be um, dishonest enough as we get closer to Election Day, because, you know, the inflation really started kicking up last fall. So then the year over year numbers, once we factor out some of those early jump months, if, you, if you're following what I'm saying here, the overall year over year number might go down, even though the monthly inflation numbers keep ticking up. So I'm just wondering if they're going to try to claim that things are getting better, even as they're getting worse. Like they, I think some of them. The interesting, I feel like there's like idea of like, well, if we can argue, uh, things are getting a little better. Like you know, the sixteen cent savings on your uh, <laughs> back, you know, the cookouts. When you try things like that, I think you're almost fooling yourself. This is the time for blunt talk when people can tell when they're being spun. And I think there's nothing sadder in our politics than when people say. Uh, oh no, it's really getting better. Look, green shoots, you and I, for a long time listeners of this program. And, you know, 
Uh, well, recovery summer back in the summer of was it 09? You know, that was supposed to get better. You know, like we come on, we know what's going on here. This is this is really bad. It's not the you know the American Rescue Act isn't the only reason we've had something like this, but it's a ex significant exacerbating factor to throw 1.9 trillion into the economy. Um, you cannot spend your way out of an inflation crisis. And as my colleague, I think it was Dan McLaughlin, said, like the problem is that spending money is what Democrats know how to do. And in fact, they really don't know how to do much beyond uh, that. That's kind of, you know, that's their their reason for existence. And so when you say to them, no, you can't do that as the solution, they're really at a loss because that's, you know, all of their instincts go in that direction. So uh, unfortunately, it looks like we are in for an inflation summer and it's going to be a long while before things feel significantly better. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I saw one uh, Republican or conservative on, on Twitter today. I can't even remember who it was, to be honest with you. Uh, thanking Joe Manchin for derailing another four to five trillion dollars in spending and build back better. So uh, we don't love everything Joe Manchin does. But uh, the more the more this builds up, the more thankful I am for that as well. Anyway, let's talk about uh, one more sponsor today, Three Martini Lunch, also brought to you in part by NetChoice. As Americans, innovation has always been what makes us different. America's tech industry outpaces the world. We have the most innovative companies that power our economy and our way of life. And free market innovation is what makes us number one. But some in Washington want to put big government in charge of America's top innovators, attacking our own in the name of competition, while our true competitors like Europe and China close the gap. NetChoice believes congressional conservatives must stand for American innovation, not big government, by rejecting progressive antitrust proposals. They encourage you to tell your senator to oppose Senator Amy Klobuchar's Senate Resolution 2992. Notice they don't tell you that everybody's going to die if this passes, like the, the libs <laughs> did with uh, ending net neutrality. They're a little more uh, rational, obviously. So uh, good issue to learn more about. Learn about the fight and send a letter to your representatives at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. Did a bad accounting rule lead to the 2008 financial crisis? I'm Bill Walton. On the latest edition of The Bill Walton Show, I'll tackle that question. I'll also share my insights from decades in the private equity world and explain what it takes to be successful. Join John Tamney of Real Clear Markets and me as we break down the memoir of Blackstone's Stephen Schwarzman. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim. So the Democrats really should have a laser focus on the economy and inflation, especially since they control the White House and the House and technically the Senate because the vice president breaks the tie and they control all the committees. But no, uh, right now the House is focused on uh, the primetime hearings last night and then a couple of weeks from now. And there'll be other hearings as well from the January 6th. Commission, uh, difficult. Uh, I guess I didn't watch it, but I did uh, watch some of the clips on Twitter. Some of the, some of the uh, police officers that uh, had to deal with the chaos that day, uh, injuries and, and all sorts of other things that were very, very ugly. So I don't like to claim that it didn't matter at all. Uh, but as other folks said, I think who watched it quite objectively, like Andy McCarthy, as uh, heinous, I think is the word he said, as heinous as it was, um, we already knew all this. So this appears to be kind of a distraction right now. But other people don't see it that way, Jim, including... Hashtag never conservative, I would say, but at least former conservative Bill Kristol. Uh, he tweets out, he tweets out this morning, I assume this won't happen, but in truth, for the sake of defending democracy and the rule of law and of constitutional duty, after the committee's report, the House, in light of new evidence, 
should impeach Trump again, and the Senate should convict and bar him from future office. Jim, uh, Trump is still living rent-free in these people's heads. And honestly, you know, people talk about how uh, voters on the right uh, have a hard time uh, potentially letting go of Trump, and that may be true in some cases. The left really, really doesn't want Trump to go away. Yeah, I mean, the first thought is like I, I'd kind of like to ask Bill Crystal, uh, you know, if you did it right now, the House, of course, you know, the House, a Democratic-controlled House, will always vote to impeach Trump on on almost any charge you put in front of them. I think it's safe to say the result will be very much like what you saw in January of 2021. You know, you'd get the Democrats voting yes, the Republicans voting no, if you, you know, both in the House and the Senate. And so you're not having the Senate is not going to convict or bar him from future office. And I'd be curious. So what would this do that what was the, that the January impeachment didn't do? And what would this do that the previous impeachment of Donald Trump did not do? Um, at this point, it feels much more like a way to express anger at Trump than something that is likely to have any real consequences. And I guess that's what I, I came away with, because like, look, you know, of course, the video was horrifying. Of course, what happened that day was appalling and everybody who was involved should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And the argument that you saw from certain publications and you know, the, the argument of, of the, the January 6th panel's message was, yeah, the Proud Boys are bad. Yes, you know, the Oath Keepers, all these groups are bad, but they're minor characters in this narrative. That in the end, this is all because of President Donald Trump. And I don't think that's really disputable. If Donald Trump had said, yeah, okay, I'm okay with these results. Uh, bummer. I would like to have won, but I didn't. Then no, you would not have seen the insurrection slash Capitol Hill riot on January 6th. Uh, but having said that, I don't think anybody, you know, I, I think if you didn't believe that, you're you're in denial. And the second thing is, okay, so the question is, what do you do about it? If the president of the United States marshals an angry mob to interfere with the operations of the legislative branch, well, they've already had the impeachment trial. What's more, but you know, I guess the argument right now, because it's now been 571 days, I believe, um, the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland has yet to indict Trump on anything. Uh, so apparently, Trump led an insurrection and attacked the legislative branch, and people, you know, bloodshed on Capitol Hill, etc. But apparently, Trump didn't commit any crimes in the process. Is that? I don't, I'm supposed to understand this. So, you know that yeah, it was you know horrible, abominable, immoral, and, and an absolute dereliction of his duty. But he didn't break any laws in the process. Like, sure, really? Okay, you know, um, I'm not the only person who said this, and I think there is this bizarre dichotomy, isn't there? It's, there's just this this bizarre split screen of the, the House January 6th Commission deliver having this. You know how terrible Donald Trump is. And then it's absolute silence and crickets over at the Department of Justice. Now, maybe the Department of Justice is going to indict Trump someday. It hasn't happened so far. Certainly doesn't. You, you, and 571 days feels like a long time. It's not just a year since it's happened. It's now a year and considerable amount of change that it's happened. Um, I just, you know, my, my it seems like that my sneaking suspicion is that either they, uh, one of two possibilities, either they don't think they can prove it, which kind of means that maybe some of this rhetoric ought to be should keep that in mind, right? Or alternately, they do think they can do it, but something about the idea of indicting a former president on a uh, on a criminal charge is some sort of line that Merrick Garland is not believe it doesn't believe it should be crossed. Somebody had said to me on Twitter today, "Well, I just think we should avoid the thing about charging former presidents because then it turns into a banana republic, and everybody goes back and forth." Okay, but what if the president or former president actually commits a crime? 
does being in the Oval Office give you effective immunity from any consequence of any actions? And I don't think that's the case. So I feel like there's this odd split that, that you know, every, what everyone is on Capitol Hill is saying, clearly this is the worst thing a president has ever done. Turning against their own country out of this desperate desire, this, you know, bonkers psychological denial over obvious election results. Yeah, that's really bad. So what are you going to do about it? And at this point, it's not really clear what the January 6th commission is going to do about it other than denounce him in prime time. So we'll see how things shake out from there. Uh, but yeah, so the idea of you know, Bill Crystal's answer, impeach him again, does not really feel like a, a, a response that fits the moment. The Biden record is so uh, horrible right now. It's uh, obvious that they, they need a little bit of a narrative change as well. And so you're going to hear a lot about this. You're going to hear a lot about abortion. You're going to hear a lot about guns between now and November. It's uh, I think that's the only three things they think that can uh, gain them any traction at this point. Uh, and as history has shown us, when the economy's numbers are like this, uh, that stuff's not going to make much of a difference either. It's not. But I think that a bunch of you know folks on the left are, are really up in arms so that Lots of Republicans, including myself, are pointing out like, look, people are just not going to care about this the way they might have at other times because inflation is so bad, because gas prices are so bad, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's that's not saying January 6th is not important. That's not saying we should hand wave away. This is, doesn't say that everybody who is involved shouldn't be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. It's just observing that this is what's on people's minds right now. And, you know, programming a primetime hearing on a you know early summer evening probably isn't going to refocus the national conversation. Americans are, you know, um, feeling it in on a day-by-day -day basis. And if you're a Democrat and you're really hoping, oh, you know, in November, people are going to be thinking about January 6th, or in November, people are going to be thinking about um, abortion, or people are really going to be thinking about gun control. Uh, look, no, <laughs> pay attention to your life. Pay attention to your constituents. This is front and center and I just don't think that uh, there's any way to dance around that. We can walk and chew gum in this time. I don't think it's, I don't think you can, you can argue one is important and the other isn't. But I do think it's kind of ridiculous to expect something to be a, you know, uh, national game changer when you have these pressing problems that people feel so uh, intensely in their daily lives day after day. All right, Jim, very focused for a guy who's about to go on vacation. I'm impressed. I could never do that. So uh, have a safe trip. You can't hear the noise of me putting stuff in the car. <laughs> Wave to Pedro for me. Have a great, uh, relaxing week, and I'll talk to you on the other side. <laughs> see, see you on, uh, in a week, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thanks for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We always love those. They help us out a lot. Please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend. And yes, there will be a full week of Three Martini Lunch podcasts next week. So join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. This week on the Federalist Radio Hour. And the obvious challenge to that is the media blackout. Um, you know, if, if this were in the other direction, if if the, if the if the difference here was um, you know going in the other direction, then it would be nonstop in the same way. In fact, actually, we have a pretty neat case study in this with the Russia hoax itself. It was nonstop coverage from the media that was essentially doing in journalistic gymnastics to fabricate a conspiracy theory. I'm Emily Jashinsky of the Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.